my name is Fritzi Horseman. Welcome to Compassion in Action. My guest today is Eldra Jackson III. He's the co-executive director of Inside Circle. He's a writer and sought after public speaker on the topics of at-ruth advocacy, effective criminal justice rehabilitation, and turning around toxic masculinity. Elder brings clarity of purpose, mission focus, and inspiration to his role at Inside Circle. He was incarcerated at New Folsom Prison when he founded Inside Circle and began the interpersonal journey that eventually led to his release in 2014 and his current leadership role. He's a living example of successful rehabilitation and reentry. Eldra has dedicated his free time on the outside to serving at-risk youth, acting as a facilitator, trainer, and mentor for organizations like Youth Empowerment and Goals Association, Shoulder to Shoulder, and the Alternatives to Violence Project. Eldra Jackson III, welcome to Compassion in Action. I am so excited to have my guest, Eldra Jackson III, with us. Eldra, uh, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little about what you do um, and, uh, and maybe a little about your story. Uh, my name is Eldra Jackson III. And first of all, thank you, Fritzy, for having me here. It's an honor and a pleasure. Uh, my name is Eldra Jackson III. And currently, I serve as co-executive director of Inside Circle. And Inside Circle is an organization that supports work that began in New Folsom Prison. Uh, inside, it's known as men's group, so there are a lot of men inside who may be like, Inside Circle, what the hell is that? It's men's group. And uh, it, was, it was started by a man, the visionary Patrick Nolan, who was serving life. He unfortunately passed away while serving time in prison. And I credit uh, the work that supported me in Inside Circle with, with saving my life and putting me in a position to reclaim my humanity. And that is the work that I am doing out here in the world now. I've been home uh, six years. I served a life sentence in the California prison system. I did 24 years. I uh, went in, in in 1990 and came out in 2014. And uh, I'm working with not just supporting uh, men who are still doing the work in Folsom, but we've taken the work to uh, uh, Sierra Conservation Center. We are now in uh, Department of Juvenile Justice in OH Close and trying to get into CHAD right now. We've taken this work across the country to the New Jersey Juvenile Justice Commission. We're working with young men who are incarcerated in two facilities there. We have just built a program called the YAE in concert with the Annie Casey Foundation, which is the youth the Young Adult Empowerment Program to help support those young men who went in as juveniles and are now being paroled as adults, navigate the transition from number one, being incarcerated, but number two, being young people who don't know what it means to have a credit score, being young people who don't know the necessity to uh, have a Gmail account and how important it is to be technologically connected and answer emails and, and Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. Well, thank you for the yada, 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 because this is, this is work that's interrupting the pipeline. This is work that, um, that is changing the paradigm. So just tell me, your work is based on circles, and I find that my experience with circles has been the most powerful thing I can do. Um, in your experience, what is it about the circle that is so transformative? 
Well, for me, in my experience, what's been so transformative in the past and continues to be uh, transformative is the, the safety factor. It is a container that can hold anything. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what my ego might judge it to be. My good, my bad, my ugly, the circle can contain it. And that comes from first building up a space of, of trust and safety. And once that trust is there and once that safety is there, anything is possible, any magic, any miracle is possible because oftentimes people who sit in circle and come to circle are people who have experienced some sort of trauma in their lives just being human on the face of this planet. And, and, and most of us have issues with trust. Most of us have issues with knowing what it feels like to be safe and to be vulnerable and to be open. And that is what happens in circles, the, uh, the possibility to, 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 to be vulnerable and know that I'm safe, no matter what it might look like or no matter what it might sound like, there's safety. So how do you create the container for safety, because um, even even I, you know, I'm trying. I have a seven eight score, and I find it hard sometimes just to trust one of my my like my godfather, for instance. I just had a hard time with that. The, I mean, the godfather of my son, um, mm -hmm. a really good friend. But how do you create trust in a in a in a facility that is um, punitive and and there, you know, I don't, when I go in there, I don't sense that the men are, or women are being cared for and made to feel trust. So how do you, how do you bring that into, uh, you're in a maximum security. So how, yes. how do you do that? How does that well, work? Well, it, it's, it's not about making someone trust. It's providing the space for someone to allow you to earn their trust by showing over a period of time consistently, uh, consistency, by being consistent over a period of time and by demonstrating and modeling what it looks like to be vulnerable. Because you and I might sit in circle for a year before you feel comfortable and before you feel like uh, you can trust. But all throughout that year, I have a responsibility to earn your trust by number one, being consistent and by modeling what it looks like to be open and to be vulnerable and to keep coming back, no matter what it looks like. Okay, so vulnerability, that is pure exposure, right? Yeah. I mean, like, can you explain to us when you broke through into your own vulnerability, how, what did that look like? Because it, it may sound alien to some of us. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It's, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. It's the biggest work we can do from what I can tell. Yeah. Well, what it looked like for me to, to, to embrace my vulnerability was, again, in seeing it in someone else. Because I had no, 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 no milepost to show me what that looked like. And so when I was invited into the circle and, and accepted into the circle, not long after that, a man went off into a piece of work and it was somebody who I, you know, up until that point, I thought I knew. And, 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 and because we had been doing time together for some years, but it was very apparent that I was just familiar with the mask that he was comfortable showing on the yard and him getting out there and being vulnerable and doing his work allowed me the opportunity to get to know a part of him. And that gave me permission 
to see that it was okay for me to begin to be open to the possibility of opening up and showing people parts of myself that I knew existed and being open to, you know, investigating those parts that I did not know existed. And, and what is that? What is, I'm, I'm going to keep going in here. I'm going to okay. punch in there. What does that look like? What is an example of you tearing down part of your mask and which, which has kept you which is how the body is geared is to keep you in um, this. I am invulnerable, right? I am invulnerable, yes. but that is the, you know, because we have all these walls. And if you look at most of the COs and most of the men in prison that I've seen, this section, the heart section is shut down. It's un, we, mm -hmm. it's hard to get there. So how mm -hmm. do we, how, what was the day when that broke through for you or what, just can you just give us a, a, a sample of what that looks like? A sample of what that looks like is, uh, I can give you one piece of work. Uh, I, I shut down, you know, a long time ago, you know, as, as, as a youngster and, and began the self-talk that told me that being open and being vulnerable and caring and giving a damn about somebody was something that, uh, put me, would put me in harm's way and was something that, uh, uh meant that I was weak. And coming to the realization of the fact that I was doing that and placing myself and people around me in, in, in harm's way, and I was creating my own prison, and I was putting myself in a position to be lonely, while all the while saying that I couldn't count on, on anybody, I couldn't trust anybody, when the reality was what I was doing and how I was living and the choices that I was making was pushing people away and creating a space that made it very easy to alienate people and keep people outside. Coming to the realization that that was a personal choice and that was a prison within that I was building for myself and I was the guard with the rifles not pointing inside to keep me in, but pointing outside to keep others out. Coming to that realization and understanding that about myself was a heavy piece for me. Wow. I can only imagine because, because you, well, and it, I just want to say one thing. There seems to be some, a little bit of blame about you, but I want to just give it from the trauma point of view. You kept those walls up and that rifle out to keep you safe because one, you're in prison, but two, you were violated as a child. And that was what you learned is that the world was not safe. So, and you know, I just wanna just let you know that that's the natural way to be when you are traumatized. And that's, uh, you know, so your, your defenses make sense. The thing is, what what is the cost of blocking out the world what what did you find the cost was for you yeah i i recognize Frissy, that the the defenses make sense in that moment when the seven-year-old was being traumatized and being victimized and that trauma and the stories that i made up and the prison that i built inside continued to be a major part of my life and a major part of my decision-making and my relationships long after the trauma had occurred. 
So I was in my teens, I was in my 20s, and I was in my 30s, and I was still functioning from that place of trauma. I was still functioning from that defensive mechanism, and the cost was loneliness. The cost was uh, 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 not knowing what trust was. The cost was not being able to experience love. The cost was not being able to, to connect with another human. The cost was superficially uh, uh, understanding things about myself, but not really knowing myself. The cost was pretending like I had morals and values and ethics, and there were things that I stood for and believed in, but they were things that were uh, passed along to me and handed to me from other people. And I just unquestionably followed those things and didn't have my own standards. And I really didn't have my own beliefs. And I really didn't have things that meant something to me. I was adopting a lot of external things that I could show to the world. And inside, I was just a scared little boy. Inside, I didn't know myself. Inside, I didn't know what I wanted. Inside, I didn't know how to say what I was going through or what the impact was on me. And I didn't have the capacity to really recognize and honor what the impact I was having on others was and how it was harming others and how I was robbing other people by pretending to be in relation, but not really fully being there. So the cost was immense. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. I, my own trauma, the same thing, because I was in relationships that were just, you know, hollow, hollow and, and trying to be seen, but never, ever getting that felt because I was after something. It was, it was, it was, it was like shopping or it was like an addiction. It wasn't to fill, you know, to really connect with someone. And that's the, and, and yet these are survival mechanisms. That's the thing. And that's the really, I, there is no shame in, in what, you, what you went through. But what I find is the journey that you went on and, and your incredible uh, you know, self-love and self, um, self-regard and self-esteem is just, it's, remar it's not remarkable, but it's, it's just magnificent. And our last conversation, we started with a circle and it, it just, it just gave me a sense of like, you are, I don't want to glorify you, but I'm just so in, in impressed and, and excited about what you're up to. So my next question, can you guide us? What is the power of the work to you think that, that, that you, you and those men, I mean, you're, you're in it. It's, if you haven't seen this, it's just an incredible journey these men go on and you did it a lot from what I can tell you were just dedicated. Tell us about that. The power of the work. Uh, well, a testament to the power of the work is the fact that you and I are sitting here having this discussion and I'm not still serving life in the California prison system or dead because I was a suicidal homicidal maniac pre the work. The power of the work and the effect of the work is the fact that I am married to a beautiful woman and have two sons who I am now responsible for modeling what it is to be not just a man, but what it is to be a responsible human being. The work puts me in a place where I understand that responsibility and I don't view it as a burden, but I embrace it. 
the work is something that put me in a place where I live with purpose and I want not just the best for myself and where I'm, 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 I'm a selfish person, but there's a nice balance where I'm not a completely selfless person because that's unhealthy as well. But I work to find that middle ground where I'm not too selfish and not too selfless. So it's a nice healthy balance where I think about myself and I look out for my own self-care and I am conscious and aware of the needs of others and work to where I can be of service and benefit to others. What I'm sensing though is there's there are boundaries and there's self-awareness, um, which when you're traumatized and you're in these situations, it's hard to know what your boundaries are. It's hard to know what you need to take care of yourself. Um, so that first day on the work, when you did the work, um, what, what happened or what, what was the day? Well, maybe it wasn't the first day, but the first breakthrough you had, can you describe something to that effect? Uh, the first breakthrough that I can recall in, 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 in me getting out on the carpet and, and doing my own work is uh, related to trust. And because I saw the process, I saw what was going on and I saw and believed that, you know, okay, this is good for some people. And, you know, maybe there are some things that I can touch on, but there were things that I didn't know that I didn't know about myself, if that makes sense. And so the first major breakthrough for me really was, was touching that, uh, that, that, that place of, 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 of sexual abuse as a child. And it was something that was so traumatic for me that I didn't even remember it consciously until I began to step into the space to work on it. And then everything came rushing and flooding back like it was just yesterday. So it was something that was number one, it was so traumatic that it imprinted on me in the way that it did. But there, were, there was also a mechanism within myself that was able to lock that away in a closet so that I would not have to relive it. But that closet was steering the ship for me on a lot of matters of the heart, on a lot of matters of the spirit, on matters of emotion, to protect what was going on in that closet out of fear. There was, you know, fear, there was judgment of self, there was, you know, uh, 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 low self-esteem. I mean, there was all sorts of shit that was packed inside that closet that, once I stepped out onto the carpet and, and was open to doing the work, it was just a floodgate of things that began to come out and I could start to pinpoint and see where just from that one incident, how it had fat, had such a profound effect on so many areas of my life, on so many of the interactions I had had with people, on so many things that I thought about myself and in that thinking about myself, how I viewed other people and then how I treated other people as a response to what was going on inside that closet. And the, th the thing about sexual abuse, especially, there's such a level of self-shame, of, self, um, of self-dehumanizing, which is, it, to me, it's like a, it's, a, it's a, an act of violence to the self when you take in the shame. And the thing that we really, really, in our work, we're really trying to get across is that what happened to you is not your fault and you are not it, you're not a shameful human being and even the crimes you've committed there's no shame in that there's accountability 
but there's no shame. And I mean, that's to metabolize that, just to be able to metabolize that, which is what you did. You, you have come, come out of your shame. And um, did you know this magnificent person was inside you? Oh, hell no. <laughs> I had no idea, you know, that, and, 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 and you say magnificent person, but what I would say is just a person. I had no idea that there was a person inside, you know, there, I had, I had grown to a point in my life where I, I, uh, the picture that I had of myself was one of a monster and I relished in that. It was something that, uh, uh I wore proudly and it was something that I, I believed, uh, you know, the way that I was living my life was something that, that, that kept me safe and helped me safe and would continue to do so for the rest of my life. That was a, a, a badge of honor that I wore. So uh, just recognizing that there was a human inside, I had no idea, you know, uh, uh, and, and awakening to that fact of the humanity in me, it awakened me to the wonderful and magnificent light that exists in every human being. Yes which is you and you are magnificent. I'm, I'm going to make sure you take away that today because, because when I see someone like you, I get to see my own magnificent reflected back. And this society shames talking about yourself well. Like we're not supposed, we're supposed to be small. We're supposed to stay, um, we're supposed to be embarrassed for what's so great about us. And that's a lie. That's a lie. So I want to just honor your magnificence and, and your, you know, your journey to this exquisite self-realization about what's possible for you. And the thing about that is you, you exemplify what's possible for every single man and woman that is sitting watching this in, in prison right now. That's, you are what's possible. And because they can see that, they can see that in themselves. Even though it might be a dim light, it's still there. The other thing I wanted to ask you, you called yourself a monster. And you also, before you talked about the, some of the codes of, you know, belief systems that you built around keeping all of this intact. And um, did that, how did that unravel for you? Because, you know, there's some lies that, that I, I've heard this from other people that are incarcerated that I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as that guy. Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. do you know what I'm saying? There's like, mm -hmm. Uh, there's a there's a hierarchy in prison about who's better than another person. Yes. And yet all of us have been dramatized. All of us have probably had some kind of sexual assault, some kind of, you know, dehumanizing events put upon us. And yet we want to be higher than each other. So can you talk to that? I'm sorry. I could keep talking, but it's your show. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, uh, wh where that comes from, for me, my personal experience, when I was working out of that mindset, it's about uh, creating an identity, as false as that identity may be. And in order to create an identity, I, I need things to be able to mark and identify. So if I put myself on the wall here, where does that place you? You're either above me or you're beneath me. So I'm always trying to be higher up on that wall. So classifying others as, you know, oh, my crime, I did this. So that makes me, you know, a G or that means something in here that gives me some sort of status as opposed to somebody. Uh, I got a crime of violence. This dude is uh, a purse snatcher. You know, he's, you know, yeah, yeah he's in here, but yeah. 
<laughs> you know, or 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 even you know the the the, the piece about looking at people who have done things to women and people who have done things to 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 children you know there's there's a ranking there and and they are seen as the bottom of the barrel and 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 for me that thinking comes from uh being in the barrel and trying not to be at the bottom of the barrel i'm at the bottom the system has thrown me away society sees me as scum and what's below me, what's beneath me. That is one way of looking at it. And another way that I've begun to be able to break down for myself in doing this work and sitting with so many people who have done this work, a lot of that ranking and that mindset comes from the trauma. It comes from things that we have not talked about and we do not talk about. And that is, you know, a piece of why we have codes in the underworld about not doing things to women and about not doing things to children, because there are a lot of people who live by those codes who have suffered as children or have seen the women in their lives suffer from things. And they don't talk about that. We just say that that is the credo, uh, you know, of a gangster. That's a mark of a mobster, you know, women and children remain safe. And I've sat with way too many men, way too many people who have been victimized as children to not be able to recognize that the reason we are so hard as, as, as convicts, criminals, whatever you want to uh, 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 call yourself, is because somewhere in our history, we have been victimized by that. And that's an opportunity to lash out at our victimizer. Exactly. And you know, I think most of the public has has problems with, um, as you say, m men who have victimized children and and women. Um, I I have have problems with it too sometimes, and I'm working on this because what I'm learning about being in a circle is there is no hierarchy. Mm -hmm. When you come into that circle, we're all equal, and um, and part I believe the circle is the place of of healing and community. And, and to accept that the violence within us is, is part of the circle, but also so is the healing, but so is the victimization. Um, all the child predators and rapists that I've heard of were also victimized when they were younger. And what happens is um, they want, or at least for some, they want some control over the situation. And it's the only modeling of control and power that they are given, which is the person who victimized them. So in a warped way, it's, it's a way of just feeling safe. So, so, I mean, I know we have to break this down a lot more. This is not gonna be an easy one for a lot of people to deal with, and I understand it. And remember, when we join the circle, when we join community, it's about, it's about recognizing that we're all traumatized and we're all here to heal most definitely it, it it is about that and 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 you touched on a good point about you know uh, sexual assaults being more about power than anything else very rarely is it about sexual satisfaction uh, satisfaction or gratification it's it's about a power dynamic and that is one thing about the circle and doing work I talked about in the beginning it can hold anything it can hold the space for anything and that leads into what forgiveness looks like. 
and me doing my work and getting to a place where, as you spoke about before, being able to forgive myself for what happened to me and all of the judgments that I placed on myself and beliefs that I told myself and carried for so long about what happened, it first starts with me being able to forgive myself and recognize that I'm not at fault for anything. And that's a process in and of itself. And then from that space, as I continue to do the work, I can, I can reconcile with the perpetrators and I can find it within myself, which I have, to forgive the people who perpetrated upon me because uh, they, 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 were, they were children themselves. They were older than me, but they were children themselves. And so if I really am looking at things from an objective point of view, who did something to those children? Who did something? What happened to them? What horrible thing happened to them to make that something that was, could be normalized or rationalized by them? And, and where did it, you know, as it goes on and on and on down the chain. So for me, a part of my healing is being able to get to a place where I can forgive them. And I can have empathy for where they were victimized and had things perpetrated upon them because they didn't come out of the womb, you know, wired to do something like that. That's just not how it goes. It, it just does not happen like that. Absolutely. And I've heard stories of men who are so mortified about what they've done. Um, once they get in touch with the, um, what they did, the evil that they did, or the, I don't want to judge that, the compulsion that they did to have power, to have agency in the world, which has been robbed of you the minute that happened. It, 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 it sets your life off into a whole new, um, a whole new trajectory once that happened, right? And did you lose hope? When did you, when did you lose hope? Because, you know, to, to commit crimes, kidnapping and all the other things you did, you must have lost hope somewhere along the way. Is that is that correct? Well, I, I don't know that I ever lost hope because I to, to say that I lost hope was to say that I had hope. Oh. And so I don't know that I ever lost hope. It was just a way of life for me. It was something that I normalized and rationalized. And so when I, I started going to jail when I was 14 years old and uh, 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 each time that I went to jail, it got easier. Each time that, you know, we had a saying, you know, at least when I was doing time, that, that, that jails and prisons were uh, higher uh, institutions of education. So I always went inside and took it as I was gone off to college because I met different people who were involved in different things. And I learned uh, uh, pieces of, of, of the criminal underworld that I didn't know. And I got introduced to those things. So it was a higher education for me. So I my mind was able to rationalize that as normal. So the, if, if there was any hope, the hope was that, you know, I could be a good convict and walk away with no stab wounds and always be somebody who was sitting at the table making decisions. And then one day when I, you know, right before that instant came where I was too old and toothless to take care of myself and wipe my own ass, maybe I'd go out in a big hurrah, run up in a, uh, 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 a watch office, you know, with a couple of knives, uh, a duct tape to my hand and, and make them kill me because I'm too much of a coward to take my own life. So I don't know where I would identify any hope inside of that because that was my mind state. 
That's so interesting. Um, just the path you had created, the life story you had for yourself um, from 14, from 14. And, but you were raised, this is the question, you were raised with a father and a mother and it sounds like a, um, a happy home or some, some kind of whole From home. the outside looking in, yes, it would you'd be something that, that most people would look at and be like, you know, how the hell did you wind up here? You know, why are you here? You're not, you know, battling roaches and, and fighting for, you know, between seven people and, and, and one cornflake. I, I didn't grow up like that. That wasn't, you know, that's not my backstory. My backstory is that I was dealing with emotional and mental issues that contributed to me being unstable as a person. You can put somebody in the best of situations and if inside they are unstable and they are not in a place where they are willing or capable of taking advantages of the resources that, avail that are available, it doesn't matter what resources are available because I'm going to, and I did, make decisions based on what's happening internally, not anything that was going on externally. So resilience, that's one of the things we're working with. And resilience is, they find that people that have high A scores, but have somebody in their life that looked after them that just was their champion, mm -hmm. don't make it to prison. And so did you have that person or did you ignore that person? Or I'm just wondering. I definitely ig ignored those people because I had, like you say, a father and a mother. I had, you know, uh, my, I got the opportunity. I was blessed to, to, to grow up and know my uh, paternal grandparents and my maternal grandmother and great grandmother and, and uncles and, and aunties and, and cousins. Now there were some people and some family members, I think we all got them that were crazy and they went to the PN and were dope fiends and drunks and alcoholics and all those sorts of things. But the main people in my life were people who were good, you know, uh, uh, hardworking folk that believed in paying taxes. Uh, most of the men in my family, you know, served in the military and they served in various wars from World War II on up to Vietnam. Uh, so they had certain beliefs and work ethics that they passed along to me. But the messages that I was receiving, I was not, at least in that time, internalizing them. They were going in. I just wasn't listening. I was hearing them, but I wasn't listening. I made choices to go out into the gutter and listen to and internalize that. And as I move forward in life now, those messages I was receiving from those people in my life, they start to spring forth. People often like to say, oh, what you said was so, no, nah, that's not me. That's my granddaddy you hear talking. He's just talking through me. <laughs> Here's a question though. Was violence normalized in your childhood? Was there a sense that, did you get whooped or did you? Oh yeah. Violence was normal in my childhood. Hell, I grew up in an era where you get a spanking in school. They used to sign, send home permission uh, uh, slips at the beginning of the school year. And, and your parents sign off to uh, allow you to get a spanking in school for, for, for misconduct. So if, I can remember times uh, uh, doing some, some dumb stuff in the classroom and getting sent to the principal's office or the dean's office. And they give you the choice. You can take a few swats here or we can call your parents. Oftentimes, you know, you'd rather take the swats at school because it wasn't going to be nothing close to going home and having to go out in the backyard and, and, and find a switch, you know, and you better not come back in there with something that was a little twig because they was going to go outside and come back with the whole tree trunk. You know, that is a form of not just physical violence. That's also uh, a mental torture, 
out there in the backyard fiddling around and trying to find just the right combination of switch and figure out you know what's going to satisfy them but what's not going to leave the most marks on my little hide that you know that's not just physical violence that's that's mental and emotional violence and it was normal you know and and that's just the way it was you know growing up in i was a 70s baby so that that was the way it was growing up at that time elder i'm just going to tell you that that's you think it's your sexual violence but it's also the violence in your home because when mm -hmm. violence is normalized and you're dehumanized by the people who take care of you even mm -hmm. and i'm not blaming them because they were dehumanized the only way that they see you as an object which is a symptom of trauma where you feel separate from a person mm -hmm. that's dehumanizing and that's normalization of violence which oh yeah I, I bet you most of the people watching this will understand and normalizing violence is not how we how we were created we were not we were created as divine creatures and so i'm just letting you know even though you have three on three aces it's still enough to to give you a sense that you first of all that you are separate from every from the world which is there's no hope in that right there that you are not part of this world and then it's just reinforcing that you are you are shameful that you are bad you are not good you are not lovable and these messages transform into crimes and an annihilation of our of our society of so, the society oh yes yeah. so I, you know i just want to i just wanted to bring that up because i know a lot of the men and women watching this have been annihilated by their families and and their caregivers and this is not okay that's where it starts right and this annihilation we must start you know forgiving ourselves for feeling so awful about how we felt about ourselves for the shame that we've carried all these years and i really thank you for for being so open about what happened to you and and you know the legacy that you have you have two beautiful children now that aren't going to be victim to any of this and you know this is this is what this is what the new generation they'll they won't be in prison because they'll they're i saw in the video you see those boys like they're they're the divine beings that they are yeah so yeah. i th i thank you for that and um you know i guess what strategies or uh, not strategies but how did you shift from you know being the monster that you called yourself to being this uh you know educated exquisite man that is walking this earth changing so many lives like what would you say because we all have it in us and if we can see it in you it's in us mm -hmm. so any advice what advice do you give and you know because some people have life without and you you had life without right no i had life with the possibility oh okay well anyway they're People with life without are getting out also. Yes, they are. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm in contact with them. They're coming home. We got several here right now who had life without. So, you know, what is, what's the formula for, for, for we to start getting, getting these beautiful men and women back home where they belong? What do you think they need to do? Well, I, I don't know what they need to do. I don't really uh, ascribe to passing out advice because I'm still trying to figure my own life out. What I can do is share what worked for me. And what worked for me is beginning to question 
why I thought the things that I thought. And I still continue to question today, why do I think the way that I think? If something comes up and I have an opinion or a judgment about something, I'll stop and, and question, why do I think that? Where does that come from? And then that leads to a thread where I can start to see if that's mine or if it's something that I picked up from someone else. Am I carrying someone else's legacy or is this really truly me? And whether or not it serves me or not. And if it does serve me, okay. If it does not serve me, then what are the steps that I need to do to remove this from my script? Okay, so how did, okay, I want, I get that. I mean, I get you, you're not gonna give advice like that, but how did you, you got out 24, it was 24 years in prison, is that what it yes, was? Yes, ma'am. So it's 24 years. When did you, like what year, how many years in did you shift? And then what, what was the path that you took? The shift started halfway in. So I was about 10, 12 years in before the shift started. And it started with the questioning. It started with me questioning how I wound up, where I wound up and, and, and what it is I was taking on. I'll give you an example. You know, oftentimes, at least, you know, while I was doing time, it was like, okay, A, B, and C happened. So now I got to do X, Y, and Z. Well, why do I have to do X, Y, and Z? Because that's what they say. That's how it goes. Who the hell is they? <laughs> because if I really look at it, the they that put down this script and came up with all of these rules and regulations that we're following in jail are people who were serving time in prison. They have done nothing more than what I've done which is fumble my life away. So I'm continuing to follow around behind a bunch of professional failures. That was the turning point for me, recognizing myself as a professional failure up to that point and someone who was continuing to follow the guidelines, rules, and regulations of other failures. People who didn't know how to live their own lives, who didn't have a clue about what it uh, uh, looked like to lead a, a real and productive life, uh, 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 people that, 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 that were mired in the same misery and pit of shit as me. And I was allowing that to be the ruler and guide over my life. So I started to question that and whether or not it worked for me and, 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 and started to make my own way and started to blaze my own path. That was the beginning for me. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge professional failures because <laughs> Because in my, my perspective, all the men and women in the, in, that are incarcerated now, we're calling all of them professional failures. And I would, I would just say, I would say their thinking may not work for them, mm -hmm. but I did not call them failures. I really wanna distinguish that in my, because my work is compassion. And mm -hmm. it's really, really seeing everyone as the divine men and women that they are and children. Mm -hmm. So the failure part, um, I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let that hang in the in the air because it's I don't believe it. But the thinking I think did not serve them, and I think mm -hmm. that's really what you're saying because I know when they sit in circle, you don't see their failures, you see their potential. No, I don't. I don't see their failures, and and I agree with what you're saying. And what I'm doing when I say that is I'm taking you back. I'm literally taking you back to 1999, 2000 and what my thinking was and what the language was and how I started to blaze that path. That was my thinking in that time. Got it. Got it. That's okay. what helped me. So 
you became rigorous from what I can tell. You, you showed up every day in those circles. Um, and what was this commitment? What this shift to the commitment to heal? Cause that's, it was, you know, I've watched a lot of success prison stories and yours is remarkable because you were like determined, you were determined. And when did you find out you were going to get out? What, what, what were those, what was that little journey like? Well, uh, I'll start with the last question you, you asked. I found out I was going to get out in 2014. So that was 10 years after I had started sitting in group. When I started sitting in group, it wasn't about getting out. It wasn't about, oh, if I do this, it will equal this. Because at that time, no one with a life sentence was coming home. We're talking about the, 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 the 90s and early 2000s. And unless you were a former law enforcement official who was serving life, you weren't going home. So it was never about that. Uh, it was for me, it was about just being able to wake up in the morning. And when I looked in the mirror, you know, being able to really look back at the person that was looking back at me and not be disgusted. Oh. That's what it was all about for me. So the determination, where did the determination come from? I don't know that it was something that just all of a sudden happened because I had that same determination and, and, and discipline when I was on the flip side of the coin. So it was just something that was being utilized now in another realm, in another arena, because I had, had the determination and the, 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 the discipline that said, okay, I got 17 years running bow-legged with seven to life. I'm going to live long enough, even if I die in here, so that everybody who had something to do with me being in here, that I judge had something to do with me being in here, I'm going to be able to dance and stomp and piss on their graves. So I had that level of determination and, and fight and desire and discipline in me. So it was just about that, that switch flipping and that whatever I had in me being directed towards, you know, uh, working on myself and healing myself. How incredible to, to use your same powers, your magical powers of crimes to, to your magical powers of healing. I mean, what a, you know, because that is who you are, that determined man. And however you're going to apply that, it's, you, can, you can make that choice. It's, it's incredible. Um, the gardeners are here. They're going to start making noise. So <laughs> let's keep talking. I'll cut that part out. But um, in closing, what would you wish? Let me, sh let me shut that window. Let me just shut that window so we don't okay. have all that noise. Tater tots, fellas. Tater tots. Air fryer get you one when you get out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry about that. The dog's going to bark soon. So, oh my God. I, I'm getting, Note to self, no podcast on Friday at one o'clock. Okay. Good to know. So um, here, I'm going to, okay. Uh, I'll just start here. So what, what, um, what advice do you have for our beautiful men and women that are living in prison right now? The advice that I have is, and I'll give a piece of advice here, uh, uh, keep your head up, believe in yourself. Uh, don't let what anybody else says or does have a, a, a negative impact on how you feel about yourself. Know your worth, know your value, know your boundaries, set your boundaries, and instruct people on how to treat you. 
incredible, incredible. Eldra, I have a feeling you're going to be back. Um, your wisdom and your uh, generosity is so necessary at these times. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Compassion in Action. And, thank you for having me. And I love you. And here come the gardeners. So <laughs> we'll sign off and blessings to you and your beautiful family. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you, Ezra, for such a candid, heartwarming, thoughtful, and wise conversation. Your work is changing the world. I'm so grateful to know you. If you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Please also go to our website, CompassionPrisonProject.org. And if you have the funds, please donate to our mission. It's going to take a bit of money to change the prison system. Thank you. <laughs>